Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Let me get to Devin. Devin from Washington, D.C. By far my favorite player growing up was Robin Ventura. And when he was traded to the Yankees, even though I thought he was finished, it devastated me. I got tickets to the Subway Series with my dad. I know where this is going because I remember this. I got tickets to the Subway Series with my dad. Great tickets. Second deck behind home plate. Great seats. And when Ventura came to the plate, For the first time, I cheered like I never had ever done for a visiting player. Little did I know that he would come up in his final lap out of the game and hit a two-run home run to win it for the Yankees. (laughs) I do remember that. I vividly remember watching him hit, and I sat down, didn't see the ball go out, but almost cried a little bit. Cried a little bit. I was a PS. I was about 12 or 13 at the time. Then I vividly remember taking the seven train and my dad asking me if I was okay. I replied, I can't believe Robin, my favorite player, hit a two-run homer from my most hated team. <sighs> That's brutal. That is brutal, man. And I think Ventura, I'll fact-check the numbers on this, I think he had a decent year the first year he was with the Yankees. It was it was Robin Ventura for David Justice right before the 2002 season, and it wasn't bad. It was not a bad season. He had 247 which was up from the previous year, hit 27 home runs and drove in 93 runs. Yeah, he had a pretty good year in 2002. And then he was on the team in 2003, and then they traded him. For some reason, I think they traded him for Scott Proctor. Let me see if that's right. Yeah, Joe Torre loved himself some Scott Proctor. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. It wasn't just Scott Proctor. My bad. It was Scott Proctor and Bubba Crosby, who played center field for a while. Yeah. Yes, they actually turned Ventura into something. The Mets turned it into David Justice. It was a weird um, Mets-Yankees trade that doesn't happen very often and was clearly the biggest trade between the two teams. They got back David Justice, but David Justice never played for the Mets. They flipped him for Mark Guthrie, a relief pitcher. And yeah, he's right. First time they played June 14th, Subway Series, Mets-Yankees. Mets have a 2-0 lead in the eighth inning. Yankees score a run in the eighth inning to tie it. 
They tie uh, score a run in the eighth inning to make it two to one, a Bernie Williams RBI single. Then they tied it in the ninth. But this is just too easy. The Yankees tied the Mets in the ninth inning. Who was on the mound for the Mets and who got the hit for the Yankees? And yes, it's the most obvious answer you could think of when you think of a guy that would melt down and a guy that would get a big hit. Amanda Benitez, Derek Jeter. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. You nailed it. Derek Jeter <laughs> with a two-out RBI single. I don't actually remember that part. Or for Armando Benitez. And then Mets do nothing in the bottom of the ninth. And then in the top of the tenth. See, this will all come together. When we did our edition of Rico where we talked about Cody Senga, and I mentioned that I don't remember Satoru Komayama, I got a lot of emails saying they called him the Japanese Greg Maddox. Okay. okay. Komayama was the guy on the mound who gave up the two-run home run to Robin Ventura. And the Mets lost it by a final score there of 4-2. to That His Mets moment. That's a Met moment right there. <laughs> I feel bad for poor Devin. I mean, that's his favorite freaking player. He comes back. He hits a home run. Speaking of which, Piazza did that. Mike Piazza, when yes. he came back, as a San Diego Padre, hit multiple home runs and I think came close to hitting a third home run. And I've given Lakata crap for that because he cheered Piazza after he hit the home run. And that was my issue. Obviously, when Mike comes up, you give the guy a big ovation. How can you not? You know, Mike was a great all-time Met. But once he's hitting home runs off of you, you got to stop. You know, you can't, you can't keep cheering the guy. You know, look what's happening. And yeah, that's what happened. Piazza was doing that. It was brutal. So, so I, I wanted to touch. Did you do you have anybody that talk about Todd Huntley? Because I feel like that to me was the most impactful trade scenario so, for me. Because you were a Todd Huntley guy. You said I was a huge Todd Huntley guy. Like I was again. The the Mets were bad. But in the early 90s, like Todd Huntley was the up-and-coming catcher. He goes off. He has a, that season where he hits 40 home runs. Everyone's, you know, like he's he, – that, that was a record. That was a yep, record for a catcher. Record. catcher. Yeah, and it was awesome that the Mets had that guy. And I was so – I know I, I know that I think he had one more really good year than he – I think he had a, an elbow issue after that, correct? Yeah, he was hurt. Was he missed a, a big chunk of 97, the beginning of 98, and that obviously led to them trading for Piazza. Right. So when that happened, like, I'm a freaking Todd Hundley guy, supporter 100%. I understand he's got injury issues, but, like, I'm all locked into Todd Hundley. And then you go for Mike Piazza. He's not a Met. He's a Dodger. I I know he's good, but, like, I'm a Todd Hundley guy. You're basically bringing in his replacement. That was, like, bittersweet. Like, I did not jump on board with Mike Piazza right off the bat. Yeah, I... I think at the time, I liked Todd Huntley. He wasn't my favorite player like you, but I liked him. I mean, he was the kind of the face of that team as they were starting to turn it around. Todd Huntley wasn't playing at the time because he was hurt. The elbow issue you mentioned, I think he had elbow surgery. And the Mets were so desperate for a slugger and so desperate for a star that when Mike Piazza came, it was exciting. It wasn't even about pushing Todd to the side because Todd Huntley was out of sight, out of mind. He wasn't playing. What was awkward is that, you know, Piazza comes here, he hits, he produces, the Mets are in a pennant race, and Todd Huntley comes back. And obviously, they try to figure out a way to make it work. They put him in left field. It's real bad. It doesn't work in left field. And so you knew they're going to trade him. Like, if they re-sign Piazza, which I think we all wanted them to do at that point, 
there's no room for Todd Huntley. He's not playing first base. John Olerud's on this team. There is no DH. So didn't it make it easier knowing we have to trade him? There's really no other option. No, because I wanted him on this team. Like, and like he he left. He did have terrible seasons. I think he had a couple more seasons where he had twenty plus home runs. I think he was with the Dodgers. He did yeah. that. Um, but like I I wanted him here. Like I felt like the team was turning for the better. Like we were gonna get successful. It's like that's my guy. I want him here for those good times. As what though? you know, like realistically, what were they gonna do with him? Well, I know that's why they were trying him in the outfield. They were trying him anywhere. Like that's like towards the end of Piazza's career, and they were trying to put him at first base. Like that's not working out. Like I, it's funny. Some of these catchers, you you, they're wearing down again. The DH would have been helpful. Like you think about DH now that it's part of our everyday life. It's like okay, good. We could always give him a DH. Right. We could always find a spot for somebody. In those days, it's like this really. We have to force him on the field somewhere. Well, he doesn't. He's not going to work at first base. He's not going to work in the outfield. So you don't have anything to do with him. So you just offload. And they him they turned it into a great trade. That, that's the the incredible things to Steve Phillips's credit. They got Armando Benitez and Roger Cedeno back in a three way trade. So it was amazing how everybody knew they had to trade Todd, but they did well. And I, I do understand the the kind of rivalry. It had a chance to be a Jeter Arod thing of. Piazza's the guy we bought. Piazza's the star we brought in. Todd Homley's our guy. But I think Todd not playing made it a lot easier. Where out of sight, out of mind. Like he's he's just not playing. Uh the P- one other thing about Piazza, when the Mets were transitioning from the 05 to the 06 team, I did have a thought, and I remember I brought it up on the air. I was doing overnights at the time of bringing back Mike for one more year. That as this team was emerging, because 05, they were good. They were in a pennant race until early September and then fell out of it, that maybe Piazza was actually going to be their best catching option. Once they made the trade for LaDuca in December, I still thought, wow, can you convince him to come back, catch part-time, and play a little first base? Like, this could still work. So I actually held out hope going into the 06 season that there would have been a space or a place for Mike Piazza the Padres offered him the everyday catching job. Now, that was the difference. They basically said, come over here. You, you can catch. You can play all the time. You're back in Southern California. I don't think the Mets had an interest in bringing him back, but I remember at least trying to talk myself into how it could still make sense for Mike to be on that 06 team, and that would have been kind of cool. You know, maybe instead of Cliff Floyd pinch hitting with two on and nobody out in the ninth of game seven, it's Mike Piazza. And maybe he grounds into a double play. <laughs> or maybe or maybe he rips one up the alley. John Olerud was another tough one. Uh, Olerud became a really popular Met for the few years he was here. He wanted to go home. It was as simple as that. He signed a three-year, $20 million deal. I think the Met offer was, was comparable. He wanted to be in Seattle. So I don't think there's any bitterness towards him. I haven't heard any Met fan have any bitterness towards him. But he was a very popular Met. And it was just, eh, we'd love to have him back. Unfortunately, you can't compete with home. Jose Reyes. I didn't get any emails about Jose Reyes. And maybe it's because the Mets eventually brought him back. Maybe it's because Jose Reyes fell off. And so he didn't come back and necessarily haunt the Mets. He was only on the Marlins for a year before they traded him. And he wasn't that good. Like he never matched his career seasons with the Mets. So maybe it's people just looking back on it saying, eh, you know what? Didn't matter. 
<laughs> it turned out to be a good decision. He didn't kill us. He wasn't great. And then, oh, by the way, we brought him back, and he finished his career with us anyway. Well, that's part of it, uh, the, the fact that he recycled back in here, but also the fact that, like, he left on a weird note. You know, the fact that, like, he left winning the batting title, pulling himself out. I feel like the fans were, like knew that the choice was either Wright or Reyes. They committed to Wright. See you later, Reyes. It was just very – you expected it even though you weren't happy with it. And, again, he never did what he was expected after when he went when he, because he went signed with the Blue Jays first, the Miami, Marlins, and then they got traded to the the, yep. Mar, the Blue Jays. Yep. He never did anything. He never did anything. The biggest his biggest claim to fame after that was basically going to going getting arrested. Yeah, and then the Mets bringing him back. Which, and the Mets saying, yeah, yeah, it's okay, come on back. Yeah, I think it's sometimes our, our feelings towards these things are enhanced by well, what happened next? What that guy do to us? Did he did he kill us? Did he damage us? Uh, Jose Reyes did not come back and kill the Mets. You know, when he was with the Marlins for that one year, his numbers were pedestrian. There was no, oh, he's coming back and he's torturing us. So I think when you include that, that he didn't come back and kill the Mets, and then also the fact that he didn't go on to anything great. You know, he was healthy his first year when he was gone, but he never produced anywhere near what he did when he was with the Mets. So it's one of those scenarios where I know the Wilpons are being cheap, because the idea that we had to decide between Reyes and Wright to me is ridiculous. Why would he have to decide? Like sign both of them. But that was the Wilpons being cheap, but sometimes cheapness works. And <laughs> it's true. And letting Jose Reyes go turned out to be a good decision. Uh, Carlos Beltran. I feel like we all knew Beltran needed to be traded. The Mets weren't good. It was the final year of his contract. And even though Beltron is the greatest free agent signing in the history of the New York Mets, I don't think it's even close. And we've talked about that on a pod. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. There was no attachment to of that guy's got to finish his career with my team. That's probably the similarity to Durant, where I like Kevin Durant. As long as I have a chance to win, I want him on my team. But I don't think I'm going to have this need for him to finish his career with my team because he was with another team long before that. And I think Beltron sort of fits that. So that's definitely true. Um, but there's also a couple lingering things. For some Mets fans, A, when he signed, there was always a thing of he tried to go to the Yankees for less money. That's the room. Uh, I, I, was it confirmed? That was confirmed, right? That he denied that. Or not. I had him on once, he Joe and I that. said it's not true. You don't have to okay. believe him, by the way. It's just what he said. I know that that came out, and that always I think rubs some people the wrong way. Again, the vision of him striking out in that biggest moment of, of his career for the Mets, striking out, that left a weird taste. And again, like you said, the fact that the Mets were going nowhere, and the fact that we got anything that Sandy also was able to make, put a trade and get something back for Beltron. Like you got to think about that. We 
when we heard Zach Wheeler's name, it was like, okay, prospect, prospect. let's go. Yeah. Amazing. And it actually turned out to be significant piece. Well, he was having a great year. Like he was having yes. a really, really good season in his final year. The team wasn't going anywhere. And I don't think there was this push to resign him. This idea of, oh, let's keep Carlos Beltran because of where the team was. So he had good value because he was having a really good season. And so you knew a team will offer something big and you're going to get a prospect. You just got to hit on the prospect. The prospect's got to turn into something. And that leads to Zach Wheeler. And that leads to Zach Wheeler because Zach Wheeler left his. <laughs> it's a big cycle. I think with Wheeler, it was very transactional. And what I mean by that is I don't get this impression any Met fan had a bond with Zach Wheeler. I didn't think it was, oh, I love Zach Wheeler. I think it was transactional in terms of, hey, I think this guy's really good now. I don't want to lose him. Simple as that. Uh, he started to really put it together at the end of the 2018 season because Zach Wheeler missed time to Tommy John, and it was bad. Like He missed multiple years, and then when he came back after missing 2015 and 2016, he was really bad in 2017. And then the close of 2018, like the last three months, he was unbelievable. He was almost on par with Jacob DeGrom. And then 2019, he's good. Like that's what he was. He was good. He wasn't amazing. He wasn't dominant. He wasn't a Cy Young Award winner. He was good. But he was 29-30, and you just felt he was getting better. Like there was a sense of there are free agents that are paid based on what they've done. And then there are free agents who are paid on what you think they're about to do. I'll give you a more recent one that could fit that. Carlos Radon, who the Yankees signed. Carlos Radon, and we've talked about him in, in relation to the Mets, he's had one healthy, dominant season. No one's paying him based on his career. They're looking at him saying, he's put it together. Now it's, now it's going to click. And I think we looked at Wheeler and said, he's putting it together. Now it's going to click. And by the way, it has, because as a Philadelphia Philly in the three years he's been there, he's gone out and made most of his starts and he has a 2.82 ERA, an ERA that is one run lower than what it was with the Mets. So I think the Wheeler thing is a very baseball thing. It's not a, an emotional thing. At least that's the impression I got. Like, I don't hear anyone saying, oh, I love Zach Wheeler, who's my favorite Met. I hear more. How did we let this guy go? This guy would have been good for us. That's what I hear with the whole Wheeler stuff. Right. And that was the logic, too, when like the whole Flores and Wheeler for Carlos Gomez was going on. Like it was never about, oh, my God, Wheeler, I have to keep him because I love the guy. We barely saw him in 2015. But the fact is, it's like what you know, he's supposed to be really good. We're going for Carlos Gomez, who guy hasn't been that great. Like the history hasn't been amazing on Carlos Gomez. Why are we making the trade for him? Doesn't make sense. We got like, it, we've heard about how good Zach Wheeler could be. I don't want to trade him. And that's kind of the whole thing with Scott Casimir when he got traded too for Victor Zambrano. It's like, oh my God, like this stud piece we haven't seen yet. Why are we trading him for some old dude that's not going to be around for much longer? The Carlos Gomez trade that didn't happen is the greatest non-trade in the history of the Mets. And it really is because of a what you would have given up for a guy that wasn't that good, and b it means no Yoenis Cespedes. So not only is there long term pain if that trade is made, there's no short term success if that trade is made. 
Uh, a bunch of tweets I got about this over the last few weeks. I'll do it real quick. And we appreciate you listening. And obviously, any more comments or questions about it, you can email the RicoB at gmail.com. At Charles Crabtree, trading Kevin Mitchell killed me. At B Ferrati 33, Roger McDowell, I cried. That's when I realized at 11 years old that players get traded. Dominic Xander, same thing. McDowell and Lenny for Juan Samuel killed me. Herring Matthew, this one I can relate to. When they traded David Cohn, I knew the era was officially over. I was sick. I remember very vividly when they traded David Cohn. And that was like, I, I guess I was a young businessman. I was like, you got to do it. This team sucks. They're going nowhere. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Go get me some prospects. And I love David Cohn. I really did. But at the time, I think that was my lesson into baseball, realizing, no, they've got to do this. Uh, Sobel score says trading Lasting's millage really bothered him. Bothered me too. I didn't like that trade for Ryan Church and Brian Schneider. The copy Fredditor seeing Doc with the Yankees. Absolutely. And uh, this one's my favorite. I saved it for last. Brian SZ7. I was devastated when we lost Hubie Brooks. The reason that's funny is Hubie Brooks was traded for Gary Carter, one of the greatest trades in the history of the Mets. <laughs> but hey, listen, man, that's your guy. You know what I'm saying? You love that guy. You know what that equivalent would be for us? The young guy that you traded that you really like, but you admit you traded him in an all-time great trade. That guy for us would be Preston Wilson. Preston Wilson was the son of Mookie. He was our yes. top prospect. He was just called up. I think he had three hits in his major league debut. For some reason, I remember this. I think they were all infield hits at Chase Stadium. And he got traded, but he got traded for Mike Piazza, one of the great trades of all time. But wouldn't it have been cool if Preston Wilson was a New York Met? Oh, no question. I Dude, that was... He, I, and he, I followed his career after he left the Mets because I was so infatuated with Preston Wilson. I wanted him to be a Mets. Oh. So, yes, I, I, it was a, yeah. Absolutely. I think that one fits. Uh, we appreciate all the people that emailed and tweeted about this. Coming up next couple of weeks on the Rico during the holidays, we'll take a, a few walks down memory lanes, some more walks down memory lanes, including the worst free agent signings in Met history. We did the best. We did that a while ago. Now we're going to do the worst off-season free agent signings in Met history. We'll even take a look at some of the best off-season trades in Met history. So we'll do a lot of memory walking. And obviously, if there's any kind of big news, we'll break in with some Rico Bronias to analyze it, to break it down as we go through the holidays. And we'll cap the year off, actually bring in the year, with a year-in-review edition of Rico Bronia. But here's the thing about the year-in-review. I want to make this very clear. It is all positive. We decided, since sometimes we're so negative, to do a year in review that was only the good stuff. Because I, I think as we open up a new calendar season, do you really want to hear the bad stuff? Do you really want to hear Dansby Swanson take another guy deep in the Atlanta series? No. So we picked out 10 of the happiest moments from 2022, and that will be our year in review. Because there's already enough negativity. Why open the year with more of it? So all that coming up on Rico Bronio. Appreciate you listening. Pete, obviously, with Tiki and Tierney. Me with Craig Monday through Friday at 2 o'clock when he doesn't need maintenance days. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronio. We hope you enjoyed this episode 
of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.